Hello and welcome to Makers.dev episode number 74. Chris, do you know what's special about the number 74? I don't, but I think you're probably going to tell me. I am about to. What if I gave you a hint that it has something to do with uh, French maritime vessels? Uh, still nope. <laughs> I found out not 20 seconds ago that the 74 was a type of two-decked sailing ship of the line, which nominally carried 74 guns developed by the French Navy in the 1740s. Uh, well, there you go. There you go. That's my fun fact about the number 74. <laughs> All right. Uh, how you doing? How was last week? Uh, I am doing all right. Um, it's, the weather is nice here, so that's always good. Uh, this is Indiana, so weather uh, can vary wildly, even day to day, but it's nice. Um, you were gone, and I reverted back to not doing SAS stuff, <laughs> just like yep. when I was gone, you yep. didn't do SAS stuff. Um, but that's okay. So I'm back on Kaggle stuff, and I like that. We can talk about that um, some, but I yeah, I'm pouring a bunch of effort into into Kaggle right now. Um, also, you were at a funeral. We can talk about this a little more, but I had a sort of an event like that too. One of my wife's friends uh, in the neighborhood here, um, she's a little older, but she has breast cancer and mm. it's the bad kind. And um, she kind of had a birthday event where she got a food truck and invited a bunch of friends and family over. And you could tell that she did that because she thought, you know, she didn't have much time left, basically. Mm. She had just been in the hospital. And yeah, so that plus you being at a funeral, as I don't know, sort of made me reflect a little bit about you know what i'm doing and what i want to do with life and so yeah yeah um so that happened but but overall good i mean she was in good spirits even though you know uh yeah she had just been in the hospital and probably has to go back soon so but yeah otherwise doing all right how about you that's that's tragic that she's in that position and i admire that she can still celebrate her life when she's facing imminent death uh i had i had a lot of thoughts uh along similar lines being at a funeral um i'm, I'm curious what your it sounds like you had some some clarifying takeaways about what matters in life uh i'm still working through it a little bit but yeah i mean it always makes you you know whenever you it, it, i don't know at least as a you know 30 something year old i don't think about death very much and so when you do it's uh um you always think about you know what you're doing and what do you want to be doing and what do you wish that you had done at the end of the life and so it, i don't know if i have any you know deep insights to share but it just made me think about it which is which is good right i mean part of the human condition is thinking about that so yeah, yeah. memento mori uh i think it's very clarifying and also puts things in perspective of like what trifling bullshit am i worried about that, <laughs> right you know yeah, my flight exactly. is the schedule changed and i'm gonna get there at a different time than i thought and I have to wake up a little who cares like I'm alive and I get to continue living and who knows how long I'll be able to continue living. And, uh, you know, what, what, what I'd like to do with that limited time. Um, yeah, there's at the, the funeral I went to, um, I'll talk about this now that it was for a, a uncle of mine on my dad's side and, um, his health has been declining over the past several years and it, it's it went into a much deeper decline over the uh past few months and he has a 17 year old son my cousin and uh we found out this last week that he was going off of dialysis which means like okay probably gonna happen very soon uh and then it happened he died and sort of separate from this uh <laughs> changing the mood a little bit i'm very <laughs> I'm very impressed with myself that I was able to figure out how to rearrange stuff in my schedule, um, rearrange stuff in Sarah's schedule. I'm, I'm so thankful for her. She, she 
uh, was able to do the same thing and uh, be there. She, I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful she was there for me. I, I, it was comforting to have her there. Um, and I was able to like book flights for the next day and book hotel and book a car. And uh, I, I at the beginning of the, the work day, this was right after we recorded the podcast last week. Um, I'll let you know, like, okay, I'm going to spend a bomb just like seeing if this is possible and what the flights would be. And the next bomb, I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure I'm going to do it, but we need to just iron out a few things and make sure that the schedule is going to work. And by the third bomb, I was like, all right, we're pulling triggers and we're buying flights. And then hotel comes after that. And then car comes after that. And I was able to get it done with me and Sarah, two people. I was able to arrange a flight and hotel and car in a different city for the next day for the shortest trip I've ever taken on a plane. We we landed at like, uh, I don't know, like 11 a.m. in uh, Orlando. And then uh, spent that night there and then the next morning there and then flew out at like 6 p.m. the next day. So we were there for what, like, 30 hours or something that math's yeah. not right so please correct my math <laughs> it's, it was a very short amount of time um and i'm impressed with my competence that like in the middle of this tragedy i was able to <laughs> my, my life is flexible and structured enough that i was able to go and make this thing happen and, and go and do that so uh that that was a silver lining of it but yeah like Dying is terrifying. This is still something that really spooks me. Um, and several moments in the funeral, I was just looking around thinking like, man, everyone in this room is going to die. And yeah. I am one of those people. And man, like, I wish it didn't have to be this way, but this this is how it is. And there are lots of things I'd like to be doing to try to prolong that as long as possible. And uh, it's very clarifying of like, you know, <laughs> in the moment when I'm offered a piece of cake, I kind of want to be like, ah, one piece of cake, it's fine. But like when faced with death of like, based on what I know about nutrition, eating this piece of cake, yes, of course, it's going to be great in the moment, but it's going to make you die sooner. Like to have that clarified and just be steeped in that for, you know, less than 30 hours uh, has been clarifying. And I feel like I'm able to better think about decisions that are good for the long term as opposed to the short term uh by confronting the inevitability of death and had some good cries had some good existential crises and had many more great connections with family and uh aunts and uncles and cousins and i am very glad to be alive and i'd like to continue doing it as long as possible uh me too (laughs) yeah uh yeah i don't have much more to say other than yeah let's keep doing what we're doing i guess i mean keep yeah keep being alive <laughs> cool <laughs> one of my takeaways that uh sort of interleaved with re-listening to episode four of the makers of death podcast the, <laughs> the best bootstrapper podcast on the uh bootstrapper podcast network uh episode four was the episode right after i got my wisdom teeth surgery i had uh, four wisdom teeth removed and i'm still very proud of being able to do that. that that was a very difficult thing for me to do and i did it and in the episode i was talking about how uh i took like two or three days completely off to just nurse my wounds and uh, be okay. And then in the podcast, I was lamenting like, oh, but then on that fourth day, I really should have gotten more done. And like, like <laughs> listening to myself from episode four, like, dude, calm down. <laughs> like, this is a thing you do once in your life. Like, surgery is a big deal. Take the take the week off. Like, do something else. Read some books. Like, calm down. Um, and in in that in that period of my life, I think I I was like uh feeling very productive and feeling the urge to just like get stuff done and 
uh, I think I needed that. I think after three days of not getting as much done, I, uh, I was just feeling the itch of, of being more productive. And I had a focus of just wanting to optimize more systems and be able to bounce back quicker. But uh, it, it was interesting retrospectively listening to that and, and thinking about what matters, especially in light of this funeral of, I don't really care that I didn't get anything done on the fourth day. <laughs> like right. I care that I took care of myself and was able to, uh, you know, recover from the, uh, wisdom teeth surgery quickly. Um, I'm not even sure even having just listened to the episode, I, I don't even remember what I was working on. Um, so yeah, I think, I think I'd like to give myself more grace in moments when I have other stuff going on. That's not work that still needs to be done to do that because that's, that's what future me is going to appreciate more than uh, making sure I'm, you know, pushing forward file inboxes as much as I can. That said, longitudinally, I would like that for the for, for that to be my default that I'm that I am pushing it forward. Um, but it's okay if I'm not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I get the feeling and the impulse though. Like, so I just went to my wife's brother's wedding, um, and that was nice. We went to San Diego for I think I talked about this last time. We for it was like five four or five days um and that was nice to like i got there i did no work you know yeah we went to the beach we went to the wedding it was great and then uh yeah by the time i got back i was ready to get working on things again because that feels like you know it's a comfortable place to be because we do it every day and so Mm -hmm. yeah i I get the i get the the impulse to go back to to what feels good uh, Mm -hmm. or at least comfortable right um that's a good way to frame it that it's i'm i'm doing work because i enjoy it i'm I'm doing work in the same way i i discovered this fantastic game called baba is you for uh android i don't know if you've <laughs> seen about this one yeah. it's amazing oh my gosh it's these puzzles that everyone i look at not everyone most of them i look at and i'm like oh here's this obvious solution to how they do this i'm so smart and i try to do that and they're like oh i actually i can't do that because of this other thing oh well i could just do this thing and then i'll be able to do that and oh no that doesn't work because of this uh how would i oh, okay that this third thing and then the second I, uh, nope that doesn't work okay let me stir this for another 10 minutes and it's impossible there's no possible way to do this <laughs> they've clearly made a mistake this is a puzzle that they've uh there's some sort of a developer error and i'm sure the next update they're going to push saying so sorry we published an impossible puzzle and then after just chewing on it for like weeks <laughs> i'll come at some of these puzzles like a month will pass and I'll have this insight of, oh my gosh, of course, it's this, this is the key I was missing to unlock this thing. And then it goes and I'm able to do it. And I enjoy work for the same reason that I enjoy playing Baba is You, because it's the same process. It's I'm staring at this thing thinking this is impossible to be able to have file uploads that keep the folder structure. And then I'll just be chewing on it for weeks and months. And then one day I'll have an insight and think, oh my gosh, of course I could use this brand new WebKit framework to be able to upload files and keep the hierarchy and I could architect it this way. And then I do it and then the problem yields to me and I've done something that I previously thought was impossible. (laughs) And that process is just a rush. And so when I play Baba is You, that's just sort of on my phone. That's not really helping anyone else. It's fun. But the same process from my perspective of building software, like that's also helping other people. And so if I could pick any activity to do, just as my baseline, this is the thing that I do with my time. Of course, I would want that to be software development. It's something I really enjoy intrinsically. I would be doing that even if it wasn't helping anybody else, as evidenced by Baba is You. I would play that even though it's not helping anyone else. Um, And also, this is a way that I can contribute to the world. This is a way that I can make other people's lives better, that I can improve their work processes. So that's becoming this new framing I have of what work is to me. It's not something I 
have to do. It's the best way for me to be spending my time because it's something I enjoy and it's a way that I can give back to the world. Yeah, that's interesting. There's also a good segue. I don't know if it was intentional or not into something I felt this week, which is getting into new cattle competitions. And you always have this like feeling that this is difficult and I don't like it and something mm. is hard, um, just like your puzzles. Right. And then at some point something clicks and you're like, Oh, okay, now I like it. And it's easy. Yeah. Um, and so I just had an experience today. I started a new competition or, okay. It's not new. I have been sort of pre working on it for a while, getting some stuff ready. And then I tried to actually do a submission today and it was like, this is hard. I don't want to do it. And then I finally got it done. Um, or at least part of it. And, uh, yeah, it feels great again. And this same process with SAS. I think we've talked about this many times before, but it's like, mm you know it it feels great when a switch flips and uh suddenly you you feel good about uh something yep. yeah love it uh would love to talk, dive into the kaggle competitions because you're in some cool ones some of them we talked about before but uh you, you showed me some stuff today that i'm like whoa that's cool um but i wanted to mention before we jump into that that the i i was reminded also in re-listening to episode four that like there's this category of work of marketing that I have just had this phobia of that like I know what the work looks like now and I'm not afraid of it any anymore like I know how to make videos and how to make videos that help people solve particular problems and I know how to answer core questions and I know how to write blog posts that are things that people are googling but I have I haven't had consistent work in those directions and I it was clarifying re-listening to that episode realizing that I still haven't really sucked my teeth into this marketing thing in the same way that you have for the, the last few weeks of uh, writing your buyer's guide. Like I, I need to remember, you know, yes, I'm, I'm knee deep in this project of recoding file inbox to be serverless. But the reason I'm doing that and the reason I'm trying to get it done as quickly as possible is so that I can do the important work of marketing because my weak point is not in software. Like the software is fine and probably the software would be fine if I just decided to push it forward on the existing code base. And the, the, my, so my weak point is in marketing. My weak point is like, I need to spend the same number of hours that I've spent in software development on marketing. Um, and I'm still in this mindset of like, that I need to, <laughs> I need to finish this. I think, I think a compromise I might come up with is like, I could be publishing more things about the uh, journey of building this that could be going mm. out like as a newsletter to file inbox people. Um, I think that's something I'd like to start up this week um, and as blog posts and I can be posting content on like the file inbox Twitter account and, and that sort of thing. Um, how do you think, I don't know if we talked about this before. How do you think about, so that those would be like journey or like more technical kind of posts versus mm -hmm. like, this is how you upload files for sign printers kind of posts. Um, do you separate those at all on your blog? Do you have different ways to publish those? I do separate those on my blog. Uh, recently, as of recoding my blog engine for file inbox, oh, yeah. I have a section of like guides, I call them, which are SEO okay. pages of things people would be Googling. And I have a section of product updates. So this would be going in product updates. And I think both of them would be useful for marketing in different ways. Like, I, I think the product updates would be more valuable for more of like a technical audience or more of like my diehard fan type audience. Uh, I could see that also being appealing to people who are building their own file upload form and hmm. then they find my thing and they say, oh, well, I'd much rather use this than build my own because this guy's clearly put a lot of thought into it if this is the right. blog post I'm reading about how to implement this thing. Um, that's how I'm thinking about it right now. Okay, cool. I was just curious. 
cool. Uh, let's dive into some of the Kaggle competitions. What are you uh, working on? And also, why is the number three important in game? Ah, yes. So <laughs> I explained this just before. Sometimes it's hard. I, I talked about this just before the podcast, and I've talked to you about it before, but I don't think I've ever said it on the podcast. So, <laughs> so here we go. Um, I need three go- more gold medals before I reach the highest uh, rank, I guess, on Kaggle, which is Grandmaster. Um and gold medals are top 1%, roughly. There, there's some math there, but top 1% finishes. Um, and in the next three months, there are three competitions that I have a reasonable chance at getting gold medals in. So I am more excited about doing that. Um, the reason Grandmaster is interesting is because companies actually pay attention when you hit that. that there are some companies that I would uh, love to do some contracting for or maybe even work for that um, actually care about Grandmaster status because um, mm-hmm. it, you know, it means you know your stuff, basically. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm working on at least three right now. There's actually five that I want to be working on, but five is too many to do at once. So I'm working on three right now. Um, I think we talked about one, the patent one. Um, I'm currently 17th out of 1,000 people, so very close. And today at 8 p.m., my submissions reset, and I think I will jump a few places. <laughs> so, because um, you can submit five times a day, UTC time. So, um and then there is the GPS competition, which is the one I got fifth place in last year, and I'm currently in third, but there's only 70 people in that one. But uh, the GPS one is interesting because I did all the work last year to understand the data, and the data is kind of tricky to understand. Mm-hmm. And so since I've already understood it, I have a leg up um, on people on who are just coming to the data. So that one's interesting. And then the last one is a bird call competition, which is an audio, uh, like it has audio data, and you have to identify endangered birds there's like 21 endangered species in hawaii and um so yeah and that one's interesting the reason i'm really interested in that one is because if you do well then you get your paper published and having Mm. a paper published as an ai ml person is like really important and so um it would just open up other opportunities for me later if i did well Mm. in that and then got a paper published so yeah that's that's what i'm working on right now all three how fun several follow-up questions i i had the thought that I love the concept of Grandmaster because something I think about all the time is what's going to replace the university model. And Mm -hmm. I think it's going to look a lot like this. It's going to look like public competitions where you're graded objectively on your performance. It's a, it's a pure meritocracy. They don't care who you are. They don't care what language you speak. They don't care about how old you are. Any any of these demographics that, you know, in academia, they're, they're paranoid about like, ah, we got to make sure we have equal gender balance and we're not facing people out like none of that matters what matters is how well did you do on this objective test that's it um and it's not like you know the the name brand doesn't even matter if like oh you went to harvard or stanford it's like no how how many of these competitions did you score in the top one percent of that's what i care about and that makes perfect because that's what i'm hiring you for right i'm hiring you on how well can you solve any of these abstract problems because i have an abstract problem uh that that's in this weird category of thing and uh i would like to hire someone who's able to solve that very well and you've demonstrated you're able to solve those problems very well so yes that's all i need i don't care what degree you have uh i don't care about anything else like can you solve this problem if i if i frame it in this way um i would love to see a similar setup for every type of thing that's traditionally something you would get from academia like imagine i don't know medicine is sort of an extreme example but what if what if there was a Kaggle for medicine that like people with weird diagnoses, there was a public competition to see what disease they had. And then you could become a grandmaster of that. Like those are the people who I want to diagnose me. If I have a weird disease, people who are like really good at diagnosing. 
Um, on, on the topic of medicine real quick there i yeah. saw an interesting thing and i don't remember all the numbers i should look it up but um the way to get good doctors it turns out is to ask other doctors because uh when talk when asking about surgery they looked at like complications afterwards i think it was mm -hmm. and then they ask other surgeons like to rate other surgeons basically and mm -hmm. they aligned with like uh how good or bad it was in terms of complications afterwards like 80 or 90 percent of the time like basically surgeons know who the good surgeons are um so that's really interesting so if you do, go do you feel like you could pick out good ai specialists um if i if i talk to someone for five or ten minutes then i will know if they're no if they know what they're talking about or not um, if, if you had yeah. to solve the problem of we need to find someone who is going to be good at solving this ai problem and you can't do it yourself how would you solve it would you interview um, people would you look at the grandmasters on kaggle is is money no object uh if, if if money is no object there are some there are some very very well-known people who are very very good um and if they aren't then they know who is um so i'm thinking about like jan lacoon or ian goodfellow or like there's there's some people who are are famous for being very good basically or Andrew. Okay. Um, what what made them famous yeah. for being good? How do you know that they're good? Other than that being is, popular, that is a good question. Um, one way you get really good in AI is publishing a lot of papers, which is not always great at solving problems. Um, but if you publish a lot of papers and you have a good reputation for being good, then you're almost certainly very good. Um, if that makes okay. sense, yeah. That means you can get a lot of people to do work for you or with you, and you actually have results. So those two things together are probably what you would look for if you're solving an actual problem. Okay. That's interesting, though, because everyone I just mentioned is a little academic, except for Andrew Ng. So Andrew Ng was hired by both Google and Baidu. And so you know he's good if they're both paying him lots and lots yeah. of money. <laughs> but, yeah. That's interesting. So the, like, someone who's already well-known, I feel like that's not quite answering my the, the question I'm trying to get answered of, like, how, how might you come up with evaluation criteria to find... Yeah, how do you come up with your own rank ordering system of like who the best people are? So like, of course you're going to put those people at the top, but everyone's going to put those people at the top. So they're going to be disproportionately expensive. That's why I asked um, about money. Yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah. it costs a lot of money to get, um, yeah. in a more realistic way. So that's one reason that Kaggle is great. I think uh, the people who are ranked high in Kaggle and also, so Kaggle has discussions, which we talked about before discussions and you get points for having discussions that people vote up basically. Mm -hmm. And so you can tell pretty quickly who on the discussion forums knows what they're talking about and who doesn't. Mm -hmm. Um, just, I guess it's difficult to know. So this is kind of like hiring, right? If you're a developer, you can probably hire a good developer, but it's mm. actually probably difficult to hire a good salesperson. Mm. Um, and if you're a good salesperson, you can probably hire a good salesperson, but it's hard to hire a good developer. Mm. And so as I get better with the AI stuff, I can tell who's really good. This is kind of like the Ira Glass quote we talked about too. I now have sort of a frame of reference in my mind of what good AI looks like because mm. I've seen a lot of it through Kaggle, through just me paying attention online. Um, so I... I feel pretty confident I could hire a good AI person now, even if I'm not that person myself yet. Hmm. Oh, that is inter interesting. Expertise versus, uh, you know, looking for expertise. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Maybe I'll reframe it as if you were looking for an affordable person to contract AI work to, how would you find that person? Huh. I don't know. I could probably tell if I saw them, but getting okay. the pipeline, I mean, put a job ad out, I guess, which is okay. probably a terrible... Uh, and then interview and then yeah. just based on your expertise figure out I guess. They know what they're talking about okay i would probably i've seen just in interviewing I, instead of ai i can talk about like javascript or whatever just in interviewing for developers i've seen way better results in asking asking people who you trust who they trust and then okay. asking them if they're interested in in a job interview um that is 
I've seen that work way more often than just job ads. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I love the heuristic too of like, if you want a good doctor, ask other doctors because yeah. yeah, they would know that, that that is the person who's in the position to be able to evaluate the technical skills of someone else. So I would want to ask you for a recommendation on who the best AI people are. I would want to ask a surgeon who the best surgeons are. Um, I would want to ask an electrician who the best electricians are. Oh, from our conversation last week or the week before, I would want to ask a, an exterminator who the, who the best exterminators are. Because um, there's a lot of like shady flabbing people who are preying on the ignorance of the general population of whatever this subfield is. So I agree that that's the best heuristic. And I'm hopeful that the easier heuristic of some sort of a public competition would be a good way to solve that. If there was a Kaggle for exterminators, that was some objective way of like, <laughs> they all compete of like, here's this house that <laughs> is somehow, there's multiple of them that are exactly the same and you got to compete to see who can exterminate the most amount of cockroaches the fastest. Um, and then they have some ranking of uh, who can do it the best and the least amount of effort and they, they don't come back the, the most. Um, and then yeah. I could see like, oh, there's a grandmaster of extermination in Dallas. Like, okay, that's the that's the person I want to hire. Um, and then I don't need to to consult other exterminators. I don't need to have someone who's in the business. Yeah. So one reason it works in AI, and it works, I, I say that loosely, uh, is because there is an objective function. You know, like mm. if you're predicting data, there, like you want to see your score go, you know, down or up, whichever it is, mm. and then whoever is the best is objectively, you know, the best. But even in that, like, yeah, it's super tricky because like Kaggle competitions all the time, if they have data leaks, then the leaderboard is basically shot. But Kaggle has yeah. a sort of a policy of, unless it's really egregious, they don't change the rules mid, you know, competition. And so, um, yeah. And so some leaderboards are just, just sort of worthless because of that. And so it's really tricky, even with an objective function. And so, I'm thinking of like, you know, hacker rank or what's the other one? Um, basically like the ones that are like coding competitions, but what you get there is not good coders. You get people who are good at coding competitions, which mm. is different. They are mm. probably good coders, but they might not be, they might just be good at coding competitions, which is different. Um, so that's interesting. It'd be even harder and really non-objective, uh, fields. Maybe what I want is a loss function for every thing that there is. Whatever, whatever the, like, <laughs> like when I was looking for a physical therapist for my shoulder after I dislocated it, I was sort of just shooting in the dark and I ended up picking yep. like the third closest place to me because I started calling people who were the closest to me. And then the first one that answered their phone that sounded like they'd be okay with me paying in cash without a referral. Uh, that's the one I went with. And that's kind of a bad heuristic. Like, yeah. that's just, that's like the worst heuristic I could think. Of. I would much rather have driven, you know, 45 minutes if, if that meant I would need half as many sessions with the person or they were going to give me the best shoulder afterwards. Um, but what would that look like? I, I would want to see the loss function of some sort of an objective measurement of like, based on all of the patients that they've ever had, this percentage of them had a positive outcome the quickest. And so this is our objective score of how good this person is. Um, reviews are sort of a proxy for that, but not quite because it's like reviews are skewed and reviews can be faked. And I, I think I just want objective scores for everyone. I want the Black Mirror episode where everyone has a social score <laughs> and it's this dystopia where it's terrible, but that's what I want. And I, and I want it for specifically for like how good at you at your profession uh, I, I thought you're not supposed to want what Black Mirror shows. 
man season one episode one an entire history of you the little camera like in your eye i would yes. kill over that i want that so bad um, oh but it turns out so badly <laughs> it does but like it's the thing with black mirror is like the technology is not the bad part of it that just exacerbates the humanness so it's not like the the problem in that episode was not that you had this cool thing that could record everything that you saw the problem in that episode was these two people had a dysfunctional relationship and there was infidelity and there was like trust issues and uh those are things that exist right now that's the the issue there like you could have the thing that i love about black mirror you could have had that episode without the technology and the plot still would have made sense um it's cool and like the problem was exacerbated because you had this technology but uh yeah i like that that's the game with technology right like do you want fire because it unlocks all these other things but also it gives you this incredible destructive power of you can you can destroy an entire city with a match um the trade-off i think is worth it you know, the things we're able to do with fire outweigh the, the costs yeah the person who invented the ship invented the shipwreck i think that's the yeah common phrase i like that cars in, invented you know the uh climate crisis car crash. uh but oh I, the car I, crash i thought you were gonna say but yeah in the car crash yeah <laughs> uh yeah yeah that's the that's the trade-off with technology uh but i i like the world we live in and yeah. i choose technology um cool i would love to dig into the three separate Kaggle competitions that you're doing because this is such cool stuff i've said this so many times before i'm gonna say it again i'm gonna keep saying it this is amazing you're you're like uh, automatically classifying patents uh or like finding matching ones uh having more accurate gps and identifying bird calls like if we were having this conversation 20 years ago i'd be like what are you doing these things have nothing to do with each other like you, <laughs> this, you can't possibly be working on all three of these things and yet here we are you're the skill that you're developing is your ability to make an artificial brain and the problem in each of these is like we need intelligence that's a little bit beyond what traditional computing methods are capable of doing and so yes you are the person to be solving these problems and you can do it with audio files and you can do it with gps coordinates and data streams and you can do it with patents and that's amazing like this is so cool and we're living in the future and it's so cool talking to you about these things that you're doing um can you just run me through uh a an, an, uh, basic idea of of what each of these three things is doing what's, what's the goal of each of the contests sure um so first i'll say that even five years ago each of these three things would be completely disparate fields they'd be like totally different but now with some of the ai advances like they're actually really really similar um the models you use are the same or almost the same like even for like speech versus versus vision that like the way you handle speech is you convert it into images and then use <laughs> vi vision uh models on that um so yeah it, it's it's neat for me someone who likes to be exposed to lots of different um like fields uh that i can use all the same toolbox for like very very disparate um you know problems um sure i'll do a quick overview of all of them okay so gps uh the way gps works is you have satellites in the sky and your phone uh which is what they're tracking phones um receives a signal from each of the satellites which is like this is when i sent my signal basically and you know where that satellite is because either the satellite tells you or you have information like the, the satellites are in a known location uh, i mean they're moving really fast like two kilometers a second but they're in a known location in the sky so you take the uh time that it said it sent it and you uh, divide by the speed of light and you get the meters to that satellite and then if you get more than 
four of them. You'd think you need three, but you actually need four because of the clock offset of the satellites. Um, so you get four of them, and then you can determine your location. Um, most of the time you have more, like 10 or 20 or something. Uh, so yeah, that works really, really well. The problem is phone GPS receivers are terrible. <laughs> and so uh, with uh, no work at all, you can get to about five meters. But this challenge is trying to get like under a meter. That would be, that'd be great. So yeah, trying to use any algorithms you can to get under a meter for terrible receivers. Um, that's the first one. Do you want me to talk about all three of them, or do you want to ask questions? I want to dig into that one a little bit. What makes yeah. phone receivers terrible? Uh, they're cheap. So you can imagine, like, with anything, right, the more you spend on the thing, the more technology you put into it, the more time you put into making sure tolerances are correct, the better it will be. So you can buy GPS receivers that'll get you to less than a meter, which is exactly what they did. So in the back of their car, they had this big antenna with a very expensive, very high-tolerance receiver, and that was their ground truth. And then they have the phones, where the GPS receiver in the phone costs, like, a dollar. Mm. Um and it just has more noise. It has more electrical noise. The tolerances are worse. Um, and they want to make that work as well as the big GPS receiver in the back. So that's basically all it is, is a cost thing. More noise. How, what, what is, what does that change in the data? Like I'm getting a signal later than I should be, or uh, the messages are garbled and I miss some of them. What, what would the effect of yeah, that be? Yeah, some of all of that. So imagine like your, um, the really expensive one has like, if it's five volt, if it's power supply is five volts, it's gonna be like five volts with a phone, like depending on what apps you're running that five volts, maybe three and a half or maybe six. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know very much about that, but anyway, that feeds into the GPS receiver. If the GPS receiver doesn't get, you know, good voltage. It has like frequency noise on the voltage or something. And so it gets more noise. Um, also even just things like the, the clocks that run on phones, are not as good as the chips that run on these very expensive GPS receivers. And so that adds a little bit of noise. And so you jitter the signal just a little bit. Mm. And when, so a nanosecond, a nanosecond in light, I don't know if, so Grace Hopper, um, who is this famous computer scientist, uh, mathematician person, she pulls out a nanosecond when, if she goes on things and a nanosecond is about a foot long. So she pulls out a piece of wire that's about a foot long. She says, this is a nanosecond, um, which is kind of a neat thing to, to show but in gps is really really important because if you're off by a few nanoseconds then you're off by a couple of feet that way and so yeah yeah it's really really easy for a phone to be off by a few nanoseconds say in their timing of things and so okay based on yeah. if, if i'm using more of the battery now the voltage that the gps module is getting is going to be less and now all sorts of things can happen of well i i guess i guess you don't know what could be happening that's that's part of what the, the right. uh, ai thing is like you you tell your machine learning algorithm hey uh you know here are all my points and here's all the data that i think might be important one of which is here's the current battery voltage um and then the algorithm could figure out oh when the voltage is low i'm always lagging by about this amount in the uh signals that i should be getting so you know correlate the the drop in voltage with oh actually whatever the position was that it says i'm at that was the position that I was, you know, a hundred milliseconds ago. So adjust accordingly. Is that, is that the sort of thing we're dealing with? Uh, yes. We don't have access to battery voltage. Actually, that was just an example, but yes, okay. we have access to a lot of data that may impact the quality of the, the, yeah. Okay. The signal. Sounds like maybe you should be looking at battery voltage if that's maybe, maybe. <laughs> yeah. um, what else could possibly be impacting it? What, what other data do you have? So the biggest things, if you want to dig into GPS more, uh, Okay, so the satellite, if it's higher or lower in the sky, will the speed of light changes through the ionosphere and the troposphere? Oh, the cool. Okay. Yeah, and so that matters. Um, that's pretty well modeled, but not perfectly. So you have okay. that. Um, you have receiver noise, which is the 
probably the biggest noise in phones. So that's everything we talked about, like the receiver, even stuff like um, where the receiver is positioned on the dash, if it's horizontal or vertical, mm-hmm. where in the car it is, all that matters. Um, then you have multipath. So in cities, uh, things can bounce off of billboards or tree, like signals bounce off of billboards or trees or whatever. And then they're, you know, they're the reflection longer than they appear to be. Yep. Um, and then in, especially in cities, you have blockages of satellites. And so you may have 20 satellites in the sky you can see, but buildings will block, you know, all but four of them and then your signal goes way down Um, but if you remember that two time steps ago you had 20 access to 20 satellites yep and say you knew like where the buildings were you could sort of predict that you know like i just drove past this building and these satellites went out of view so i'm probably here um which is getting super advanced which is where this competition is trying to go so um yeah all that stuff figuring out the signal bouncing off of things yeah, that sounds impossible. How could you possibly? Because <laughs> it's not. You don't have direction. You don't like if it's coming from, if if the satellite's behind me and then it bounces off a billboard and then hits me from the front. The only thing I see is, the 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 signal that the satellite is pinging is like, this is what time it is right now, and here's where I currently am. And sometimes yep. it says the position, and sometimes it just says I'm satellite number G twenty three. So you you yep. know where I am. So you're getting you're getting the time and the position of the satellite. And if it's coming from the front and it's now several hundred meters longer, how on earth would you <laughs> like, I guess it would, it wouldn't make sense in the context of the other satellites. And I would, I would have this one anomaly and uh, I guess I just throw that away. That, uh, is what, that is one of the things you're looking for. Yep. Wow. What a complicated problem. I was amazed in, uh, we, we co-worked a little bit on this uh, last week and you showed me the raw data that you have access to coming in from the satellites. And first of all, it is a hilarious data format it's like it's it's a line per thing and it's sort of like a csv delimited by spaces but it's like a fixed number of spaces and a certain number of columns and uh there's apparently a, a standard way of uh uh reformatting the data as a csv into a more standard format but also some of the time signatures are stranger and so it's it's like not a straightforward process but i think you said it was a format developed in like the the 70s is that right whenever gps came out um also i will i will say for uh formally i I showed you an example of the data uh not the data itself because that would be against the competition rules so ah yes an example (laughs) of the data yes um and yeah man it was so interesting seeing that the 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 pings coming out are uh it's just the time and the location and based on that you're able to figure out okay if oh oh man okay i'm gonna try to re-explain something that you explained to me which is like how (laughs) you actually figure out your position from that so i i had this idea that like okay if i know the position of a satellite and i know the the time it took for that signal to reach me uh so i you know i know what time it is right now i know the time that it was when that signal was broadcast i know the speed of light so i can just say from one satellite okay uh i'm i'm now in a sphere of uh potential space because I know the distance away that I am, but I don't know where I am on that sphere. Uh, and then you pointed out, well, also, you you also don't know what time it is. So uh, yep. so it's not just a sphere. It's a sphere that like has smeared through space. Um, so that's just based on one signal, I know where I am within a, within a sphere that has smeared through space. So kind of like a, uh, I don't know what shape that would be, like a, like <laughs> Me a donut sort of. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, but then also I know that I'm on earth. I'm not going to be in some random spot in space. And I know that I'm not like inside of the earth. So I have from based on one satellite signal, I have sort of like a circle on earth that has been smeared across the surface of the earth. Uh, how am I doing so far? 
I think that tracks. Yeah, that, okay, that's cool. roughly right. Yep. With two satellites, I have that same data twice. So now I'm overlapping those two smeared circles on the surface of the Earth. And now I just have the union of those two spaces where I could be. So that's like, uh, I don't know what shape that would be. It's, <laughs> it's difficult to describe. It's overlapping two spheres of uh, two smears of circles. Uh, and that would give me like, you know, some, some two-dimensional shapes that probably aren't connected. And then with three, I'm able to pinpoint that down to uh, probably like two lines or two points. I'm not sure what the third intersection would look like. But two then with smeared four, points, I think, yeah. And then with four, you get to one Two point. smeared points. Yeah, so, so two lines with three. And then with and then with four, I'm able to, to narrow that down to just a single point. Uh, amazing. So cool. Satellites are amazing. Uh, and that's really cool that you are able to do this and figure out like, my gosh, sub-meter. The computation of that just... I, I assume the solution you get, like, you won't be able to understand how it got the, the accuracy that it got. It's going to take into account a whole bunch of things and, and uh, be able to come up with a, a more accurate model. So one of the reasons I like the GPS competition, actually, is because you can understand most of it. So a lot of it's traditional algorithm stuff um, hmm. at the very end. So last year, I did not get to machine learning. This year, I think I will because I understand it more. Like we're there's still three months left, and I'm I'm doing pretty well. And so yeah, I think I'm gonna actually get to some of the machine learning, and that's where I will not understand. Like I will give it a bunch of data, and it will spit out a number, and I'll be like, okay, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but up until this point, I've just done regular algorithm stuff, um, okay. so I actually do understand, uh, yeah, what it's doing. And I imagine one of the things you're doing is figuring out like the angle of, the angle of the satellite relative to you, and how much of the ionosphere it's going through to yep. to get to you. Okay, wow. Cool. Complicated. Uh, neat. That was that one. Uh, patent one and the bird calls. Which one do you want to talk about next? Uh, yeah, we got to go a little quicker because we're running out of time. But oh, I will talk about oh the, my gosh, yeah, we do. I'll talk about the patent one real fast. We sort of already talked about that one. This one's like, so patent examiners, uh, when they get a patent in, they have to bring up all of the prior art. And one of the parts of that is determining like what is similar in a claim. And so this thing is trying to say, based on a patent being in this category, is this word or, or a group of words similar to this group of words? Hmm. So the idea I think is they can take it and they can uh, run a bunch of claims uh, against the entire database of claims they have and basically hmm. say if they're similar or not. Um, we talked a little bit about this. I really dislike the patent system, especially for software. Um, I think it's okay for other things like big farm and stuff. There's a whole other discussion anyway. So if you, I think go back a few, maybe like a month and you can hear that discussion, but I decided it's okay to work on so i'm working on it um yeah and so i'm in 17th place and i i made some dumb mistakes yesterday which means i didn't go up in my rankings but i think i will today so uh that is what i'm doing that's the second one yeah can you talk me through roughly how you're approaching this problem or is, are we so, still in the secretive phase where you can't we're still in, yeah that's still in the secretive phase but okay. but uh, i can talk about so i can talk about anything in the public notebooks so uh okay. the public notebooks the general way to do it is you have a language model language these language models are huge machine learning models trained on giant corpuses of data like the entire internet well you know like wikipedia plus all of you know yahoo answers plus all of whatever like there's different there's different ones okay and so they sort of understand language um and then what you want to do is you want to fine-tune it for patent language because patent language is different than just general language and so mm -hmm. you basically feed it a bunch of data you say that there's lots of ways to fine-tune it but you basically feed it a bunch of patent language and then it sort of understands patent language and then you fine-tune it again to say when you see these two things this is a you know, a score of one, this is a score of 0.5, this is a score mm -hmm. of zero. Um, and then out the end, you get a language model and then you, for inference, you feed it the the test set and report on the, the scores. 
So that and the, that's the scores are things that you're given as part of the competition. They say yes. when, when you see this phrase of a, an automatic flushing toilet, that is the same thing as a toilet that automatically flushes. Exactly. Yeah. So that'd yeah. have a score of one, and then like automatic flush might have a score of like 0.75 because that's very similar but okay. and then automatic you know driving would have a score of zero because those have nothing to do with each other yeah yeah okay okay interesting i'm okay that seems harder uh <laughs> uh i the the application of this i guess would be like four people working in the patent office to aid them in trying to figure out uh, if they can grant a patent or not, um, you know, they you, you upload the provisional patent, and then your thing would scan the language in that provisional patent, and then say this looks really similar to these twenty patents, and then that person would need to manually review those twenty patents to confirm yep. that those are actually similar. Okay, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, I'm not as interested in that one, but cool. Yeah, me neither. It turns out I'm good at it though. So <laughs> okay, <I'm> working on it. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about the bird call ones. Oh man. Okay. So the thing you said earlier about how uh, all these use very similar techniques because uh, for things like audio, you just convert the audio to, to uh, a, a picture and then run the same sort of techniques on the picture. You showed me today a uh, diagram and I, I forget the name of it, but it's it's like a, a spectrogram of the different audio frequencies. It yep. looks so cool. And you were able to point at the picture and say like, look, this is the bird call. And it's this, this visually identifiable piece of the spectrogram uh that's really cool what what was that diagram called so it's called the mel spectrogram so you yep. can look it up there's lots of information online about it and yeah it's uh so it takes you, you probably have seen a waveform which looks like you know a line going up and down across time right um if you break that into frequencies so use an fft to break it into frequencies and then plot those frequencies over time then what you see is more or higher volume at a certain frequency will be darker and lower volume at a certain frequency will be lighter or, or the other way around like the colors actually don't matter mm-hmm. um yeah so a bird call uh, and the whole idea is that a bird call or any sound will look similar if it's a similar sound so that, like the bird call looks similar on the waveform or on the image um in multiple time steps so the idea is that you now have an image with something that looks similar and you want to identify that well that's the same as like identifying an elephant right <laughs> or a dog versus a cat or whatever so mm. you can identify this bird versus that bird because their calls look different on the smell spectrogram so that's the idea amazing so cool this is some sci-fi stuff like <laughs> if i told you uh, there's this advanced alien species that's able to listen to a sound and then convert it to an image and then recognize the image with the image recognizing parts of their brain you'd be like that's some ridiculous sci-fi stuff that can't possible but that's exactly what you're doing like oh man that's that's so cool um i'm reminded also of in watching my nephew grow up he's nine months old now and uh he he has like some motor skill ability he's able to walk with his little baby walker and uh he's just now starting to sort of get to the point where he can understand abstract concepts he just started saying up when he wants to get up uh he can identify mom and dad and right on the cusp of like that's a dog and then being able to recognize out in public like oh that's a cat is that a dog no 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 that's a cat and that one's a dog once he gets that once you've bootstrapped that basic image recognition i could totally see him as a i don't know two-year-old being able to say okay look at this audio spectrogram mel mel audio spectrogram that uh, mel spectrogram is the particular one there's lots of there, there's several different kinds spectrogram is the more okay. general term yeah Okay, a uh, uh, Mel spectrogram. I could totally see showing that to him as a two-year-old and being like, "Hey, you see this square-looking piece? 
can you see any of those other square looking pieces and as a two-year-old i don't know if this is uh, definitely as a four-year-old maybe as a two-year-old yeah uh, i would think you would be able to, to like point to the other ones and be able to see it uh not being trained on that like this is a novel image he'd never seen a spectrogram before but just by having whatever the human image processing bootstrapping is of being able to recognize images, uh, he'd be able to just pick up like, oh yeah, okay, we're recognizing the shape. Here's all the other shapes. Um, man, so cool. The, yeah. it's, it's amazing. And, and that's why humans are crazy. So because they, at two years old, are so good at that, or maybe at four years old, yeah. Um, but yeah, so this bird call competition in particular, so they've run this like every year for several years and they have other people professionally working on this and it's basically solved for like very common birds like mm -hmm. a crow or a morning dove or you know whatever um, they have a ton of data and it's it's really easy this year they're doing it on endangered species in hawaii so there's 21 or there's really like 10 and then there's 11 that are like not endangered but but rare and um and yeah so for some of these you have one or two uh audio files like um and you have to then identify it based on one or two examples basically and uh that's a hard problem <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but also a very easy problem as a human like as if a, you yeah if you played me a five second clip of a bird they're like all right yeah i got it <laughs> I, can, yeah. I can understand that and I, I could pick it out in different contexts and with a bunch of other competing sounds and uh with an adult version of that bird uh where the, the frequency is totally different and maybe it's, it's faster or slower uh yeah amazing so cool uh, we are running out of time, so we need to go a little <laughs> faster. Uh, you are waiting on the Slack app store. Uh, yeah. You want to mention that really quickly? Sure. I, I'm still waiting. <laughs> they said four to six weeks. I think it's been like four. Uh, that's why I'm doing Kaggle, really, because I'm like, ah, stupid Slack app store. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I went switch back to Kaggle a little bit. But, uh, yeah, still waiting. That's annoying. That's part of your moat. You Once you're in, you're in. Yeah, and, that's true. Yeah uh yeah we'll get there you bought marketingchangelog.com yes so uh uh we should talk more about this i guess yeah i had a couple people reach out to me about it actually and it was really interesting i talked to some of them um and they were very interested and like i bought it because it was six dollars and namecheap was having a thing i'm not gonna do anything with it <laughs> so <laughs> i can talk a little bit about why and i knew this going in but like basically everyone i talked to i did some sort of mom testy questions and some of them were even like I know this is a mom testy question. Yeah. Uh, they have not looked for anything else. Spreadsheets are just fine, which is true, right? Mm -hmm. um, but there were some very interesting ideas. So like uh, one person wanted to show it to their mentors or uh, investors or advisors. So mm -hmm. that's very interesting. Um, I could see like sort of a public version of this for like, um, you know, yeah, using it as like uh, sort of SEO fodder. Like this is what we did and this is, you know, so they're, they're very interesting. And, oh, and then the other is like automatic screenshots. That was the biggest one. Mm -hmm. So like if you could take automatic screenshots and link it to Google Analytics um, because they have the ability to link stuff on a timeline, I guess. Um, yeah, so there's some very interesting features that may make something interesting. Uh, mm -hmm. But I'm not going to do anything with it. So I bought the domain. I'm not going to use it. If, if you DM me and tell me what you use it for, then maybe I, maybe you can have it. Uh, yeah. I maintain that this is a really juicy problem that I don't think you're at a place where you can turn this into a SAS yet. If that could, yeah, could be true. I would love for you to do something with it. And I think, I think that would look either like, I think we talked about this last time, but it would, it would look like consulting for people one-on-one -on -one, that if people want to do this, you'll, you'll walk them through how to do it. And then once you've done that one or two times, you can be like, ah, here's the formula. You make a new Google spreadsheet and then you just build into your SOPs that anytime you make a marketing change, what's a marketing change is one of these four things. Once you do that, then you enter it in the spreadsheet and then 
you have it recorded and here's how you set up the spreadsheet and here's how you <laughs> have the systems in place of being able to do that and uh, make sure all the people on your team who are capable of making marketing changes have access to it and they know that, that they're going to do it. And then at the end of it, you're going to be able to have this graph and here's how you integrate that graph with Stripe so you can see what your MRR is. Um, like that could be a YouTube video. That could be a, a PDF that you get by signing up to your email newsletter. And then once you have that, you can market the heck out of it and help people set up a marketing change log. Like this, this problem exists and work in it is beneficial as long as there are people who are, who still don't have a marketing change log. So like, yeah, you know, the, the, it would be good to work on this thing. Um, and then once you've done that, you might be in a position where you're like, oh, well actually Google sucks because it's really difficult to upload a screenshot. Okay. Well then switch to Airtable and now you can upload screenshots. Okay. Well now we, we can, we can go on that for a while, but now it's hard because I'd love this over superimposed in my MRR and striping. Okay. Now is the point that we make the app. Uh, and we, we, so, you know, that's, that's six months before you need to write a line of code. That's all just yeah. like making videos and, uh, helping people to, to do the change log. Uh, it's a juicy problem. I like it. Um, it's cool that you have the domain. Uh, I'd, I'd love to see something done with it. Um, yeah, that's what I got. Yeah, I, I wish someone would do it just because it'd be very interesting to see, uh, but it'd be a long road. I think it'd be uh, at least six months of yeah, consulting and stuff. Yeah. Um, so I'm not going to, but. Okay, deal. <laughs> um, I, what do I want to talk about? I talked about the funeral. Uh, talked about, oh, I got just nothing work-wise done. After, <laughs> like the day after the podcast was the whole funeral thing um, yeah. and the, the last minute travel. So I had like a day planning for the travel and then two days of travel. And then the day after that, uh, Sarah's dad was in town and we did not get to see him for Passover. So we uh, spent that day like getting ready for Passover, making all the food. And Passover, oh my gosh, this is a whole other thing I have to talk about. <laughs> Passover is such an interesting holiday. Uh, I am so curious about the Jewish religion and this is just like a concentrated like, oh man, if you want to understand it, like this is a great holiday to understand because it's uh, the, the, the group mentality of like, we've gone through some shit and it's going to be okay. Yeah. We're going to make it through it. We got God on our side. Uh, but just keep in mind, like, be thankful and, uh, you know, persevere and uh, keep doing what we've been doing because it's been working for thousands of years. Uh, a thought that I had was the, the, the Jewish people have outlived every civilization that tried to kill them. Like the ancient Egyptians don't <laughs> exist anymore. <laughs> um, and, you know, huh. the, the Third Reich doesn't exist anymore. Um, this This pattern of whatever this group of people are doing is is successful enough to like be able to, to uh live through it so uh, yeah beautiful it was it was fun uh and then also we celebrated a belated easter at the same time so we did some fusions of things of like uh as part of the the traditional passover seder meal you need to have an egg so we made it a uh colored like an easter, easter egg, egg. <laughs> so yeah uh so that that was a lot of fun uh and then just like a bunch of administrative stuff um putting together a shed and bookshelves and uh, along the lines of not not needing to push forward SAS and feeling like a, like a failure if I haven't done that. Uh, I, I feel really good about the lower level work I did today of like, I'm doing this work to prepare for having more space to be able to do work in. And like, that's the most effective work I could be doing. Um, and I'll mention that today is the, the first day that I was able to in co-working work on file inbox. And it felt so crusty getting mm -hmm. started and i sort of dreaded getting started but at the beginning of today i i said like oh well you know i'm, I'm just going to spend one palm just to sort of outline what the work would be and then i'm going to get to the other admin stuff that I, I need to be getting to today and after doing that i was like well i have you know 15 minutes left in this palm so yeah i'll just i'll just get started on the thing 
and got started on it and it was slow and clunky and I had to refine my way around the code base. But then by the end of it, I was like, huh, I, I did a thing. This this is like pushed forward a little bit. Uh, I'll do a second palm on it and then a third palm. And I, I made meaningful progress today forward on file inbox and that felt really good. So it was a good reminder of after I get started on it, th- like getting started is the hardest part. And then once I have momentum, it's really easy. And uh, I, I would like to familiarize myself with what it feels like to uh, have left a project and and be coming back to it after some time. Um, cause that's, that's the moment that I'd like to be practicing, getting good at like in meditation, the core skill of meditation is not to stop yourself from getting distracted, but to practice recognizing that you've gotten distracted and then pull yourself back to being focused. Um, in that same way the, the skill that I'd like to be practicing is, okay, I've drifted away from file inbox, uh, or whatever my main focus happens to be, uh, let me practice pulling myself back and <laughs> working through the crust, uh, to, to be able to get back in the groove again. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And it's just like what we're talking about with my cattle competition or anything else. Like it's yeah. Getting started. It's hard. <laughs> and then once you get started, you're like, okay, I, I feel this again back in the groove. Yeah. Yeah. The activation energy is tough. Um, I had a few more takeaways from episode four of makers.dev. Uh, that's the episode where the audio quality started getting bad. I think that might be where I started using automated tools. So I may remaster episodes four through like 67, I think. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the first three episodes sounded great. And then episode four just sounded super crunchy. So I, I think that's when I did it. Uh, I was also amused to hear myself talk about working on file inbox for one Pomodoro every weekday. And now here I am cruising at like four plus and it feels oh, great. Right. <laughs> uh, and I am getting like more than four times the amount of stuff I was getting done then uh, and more consistently like, uh, it felt very good to be reminded that I've made a lot of progress on that and uh, I'm getting a lot more done on what I want to be getting done. And that feels good. Good. Yeah. There was also something that came up in episode four. Uh, you had started a new project called async.dev. Oh yeah. You want to, you want to talk about that? <laughs> uh, that? That still sits there. I still pay for the domain and it still <laughs> exists. Um, it is, not is it functional? Used. Can you use it? Is that a, Oh yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I must have talked about this at some point. I basically realized the problem I was solving was not not quite the problem I thought I was solving. Um, I don't think like you can't you can't replace Slack with a web app only. I think is mm. where I got to, and I don't want to. So then I was like, can I work with Slack? And you can sort of do that, but it is like super hard anyway. So I just left it. Um, I may pick it back up at some point. Uh, at various times, I thought of different things I could do with the domain because I think the domain is really great. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah, it's just sitting there. Okay, cool. <laughs> that's all. I Good. see a pa- I see a pair mortar behind you. What, what's oh that yeah, doing there? that's that's one of one of my administrative tasks. Uh, I I want to sell this pair motor and buy an electric one, and I have no idea how hard it is to sell a pair motor. This is like a really niche, tiny market. Uh, yeah. An advantage I have is that with all these supply chain shortages, I think gear is really hard to get. Like to get this mm. one, I had to be on a, this waiting list for like four weeks or something. Um, so if there's someone who wants one right now, they could get one right now. Um, so I just listed it today, trying to, trying to sell it. And then, uh, I'm going to, it's, it was like, I don't know, $9,000 to get this. And the the electric one I want to get is like $8,000. So theoretically I'm making a thousand (laughs) dollars, but to get the new one is going to take like two months. Yeah. So I think I want to like place the order in and then just have 
an extra nine thousand dollars tied up in paramotors that uh and then you know I'll, I'll hopefully be able to swap them out and uh yeah. try to minimize the time where i i don't have any paramotors but uh yeah there's a lot of stuff like that's happening i'm selling two cars uh i'm selling what else oh a, a conference ticket i'm trying to get sold today uh lots of just stuff like that is, is yeah. crafting up my work time but man once i've once i've done it all and like the stuff i only have the stuff that i need and all the stuff that i don't need has been sold and uh it's just gonna feel so clear and like oh i have so much room and time and space to work and that's gonna feel great i think this came up on twitter but i look forward to the episode uh the dude where's my paramotor episode <laughs> oh my god dude where's my conference ticket <laughs> i am perfectly capable of having financial transactions in which i am not the victim of crime chris awesome <laughs> I only talk about the ones where uh, it goes badly. But yeah, like nine grand is a lot to be yeah. like, how am I even going to do that? Do I want Can a suitcase I mean, full of... You have an instructor, right? Does, I bet your instructor knows people who want paramotors. Yes. And yeah. So like I just I'd... posted it on Facebook and I'm going to, yeah, I, I sort of have two instructors because I have the one that I bought this from in Austin and I have the one that I'm actually going to in Dallas. So yeah, I'll, I'll text both of them and let them know like, hey, I have one for sale. And if you know someone who wants to buy one, if I've got them. Um, yeah, and then that would feel safer too if it's like within the network of friend of a friend. Uh, those yeah. people, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, I'll, I'll text them both right after this call, and then we'll hopefully help it get sold. Chris, that's all I got. That's all I got too. Then I'll see you next week. Goodbye.